This morning we're going to look at uh, the idea of persevering in our faith uh, through whatever trial may come, whatever circumstance we might face, to continue to persevere in that. We'll be looking this morning at uh, Mark chapter 13, uh, verses 9 through 13, as we consider uh, the words of Jesus uh, still in response to his disciples. Hear the word of our God from Mark 13, verse 9. Jesus said, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. May God grant us wisdom this morning as we consider these words. Imagine, uh, speaking of uh, living a life of opposition and the trials and turmoil that come our way, imagine enduring the kind of opposition that Noah did. Put yourself in, in Noah's shoes uh, so long ago. God has given him a task to build an ark where there is no ocean and to continue to do that so that God would preserve the world through his faithfulness. Noah has the task of preserving, if you will, a given by God to preserve a future humanity. It's been understood that uh, the task that Noah had before him took between 75 and 100 years uh, when, when you think of how that had to have gone for Noah, uh, that was a man of perseverance. Building uh, such a huge ark for something that has never been seen before, uh, this massive amount of water, and then to pronounce the destruction of all mankind except for his family. Uh, it would be one thing if you had to say that once. And next week, that's what you have to say, and then you're done with it. Uh, for over 75 years, Noah had to deal with all the criticisms and taunts and jeers of those around him, uh, facing constant opposition to the saving of humanity and the pronouncement then that the rest of humanity would be wiped out. He was a prophet in his day. And he had to do that for that whole length of time. Uh, I can imagine how discouraged he might have been. When you read some of the prophets uh, that we've just come through and the message that they keep bringing to the people of God and it's not being received. Um, and for a, a generation or maybe just a short portion of their life, imagine now Noah doing that for 75 to 100 years 
with constant opposition against him. We're going to look at uh, what Jesus says about how to, how to get through those times, how to prepare for those things. And when the, when the disciples ask about um, the end, uh, their, their motivation is trying to figure out uh, when will the end be? When will the destruction? What's the timeline? What will we see that will mark the end? Uh, much of what they're asking is about time. But notice, uh, Jesus doesn't answer that question for them. Not right away. He takes them on a different path, as Jesus often does. He he. He wants to lead them in a way that he wants them to be thinking about things, not their own perspective, which may not help them the way his perspective would. It's a more urgent path than just figuring out the end. But how do you prepare from where you are to getting to the end? What will the journey be like for you as the end approaches? Not the when, but how to be prepared. Jesus said, be on your guard. He wants his uh, followers to know that the journey is for them at this point now far more critical to know what the journey will be like than when the end will be. You could, you could figure out when the end will be, but miss the fact that uh, if you haven't given thought and consideration to it, a lot of uh, bad could happen to you, a lot that you could miss out on because you haven't been prepared, you're only looking at the end. It's always been the way that God deals with His people. He always tries to keep them prepared. He doesn't just spring it on them at the last second and expect them to somehow navigate through it. God always brings His people through this place of navigation first always keeping them informed ahead of time so that we know. It's always been the way that God has operated. Uh, he did that in the book of Leviticus. Uh, as he's uh, giving the law there, and he says, if you follow all these things, if you, if you stay on the path that I have for you, uh, blessings will continue to follow with you. Even in the midst of hardship, uh, blessing will be the overwhelming condition of your life. If we choose to go on a different path, God says, then I will bring all these different curses. I will bring all this opposition, all this trouble, all this punishment and judgment on you. Now you know. Now you can expect one or the other based on our response. God always has given us that. Isaiah would record uh, much the same in that matter in his day, in Isaiah 8, 48, verse 3, the former things I declared of old, he said. They went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them. They came to pass. I let you know ahead of time so when they happened, you would know that I ordained this. And that could be uh, the wonderful uh, good news of blessing that comes as we would see now, as we're getting in the New Testament, the, the coming of uh, Emmanuel, God with us. I told you about that ahead of time, so when you see it, you'll know. 
but it would also be if there's a time of judgment that comes against you when you find yourselves personally or corporately in a place of uh, judgment and uh, uh, under, under God's sovereign uh, wrath, you would know that ahead of time as well. He doesn't want to leave us caught off guard. He will tell us ahead of time. It's a wonderful, gracious act that God continues to do. Uh, the Apostle John had a similar uh, warning there in his second epistle on the same idea of, of the end and what's going to happen at the end. He said, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves. It's that same phrase. Be on your guard. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. Make sure that you pay attention that you don't lose what has been worked so hard for. The the message of hope in in God's sovereign plan, the the message of uh, eternal hope in Jesus Christ, make sure you watch yourselves because people will always come and try to knock you off course. And they, they do it a lot of times, as we said earlier, in a spirit of fear. Paul uh, would continue uh, letting the followers of Jesus know now after this um, what would take place ahead of time. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4. For when we were with you, he said, we kept telling you beforehand, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul Paul said, as we move forward in our journey in being faithful followers of Christ, I want you to know ahead of time it's going to include affliction, persecution, opposition. Paul, you remember how Paul got started in in his ministry after he's uh, overseeing the death of, of, uh, drawing a blank, Stephen. And he's, he's taking the coats of people Um, while they would go off and stone him to death. Ananias hears a message from God and he says, you need to go to my servant Paul and tell him he's going to be a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And God says this to Ananias, for I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. This is the way Ananias was going to announce Paul's uh, conversion from the persecutor of the church to the winner of souls for the kingdom of God. It would be one where suffering would come. Paul didn't uh, maybe know that specifically. I don't know that Ananias said, uh, Saul, by the way, uh, here's what's ahead of you. Ananias knew that, but Paul would find that out. It didn't take long before Paul realized that his commitment to following Christ was going to be filled with hardship. In Acts 20, uh, at verse 22, Paul says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul being led by the Holy Spirit to go on in his journey 
And he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, except there will be more persecution, more affliction, more hardship, more imprisonment. He may face uh, the end of his life for what he is about to do. That's what he's certain of. And then Paul begins to go. So God always wants to make sure that we know ahead of time that these things are going to happen, good and bad, hardship and trial, the the blessings and the curses, the joy and the pain that will come in following and serving. He doesn't paint a one-sided rosy picture. He wants every one of us to know what the path will look like. But it's going to get rough. Jesus does not hold back on letting his disciples know and the disciples, as they carry on the ministry of Jesus, they do not hold back in letting us know that it's going to be a rough road. I wonder if you would uh, talk to people about your, your faith or, or uh, woo them into coming into the faith, if you would use these kinds of things. It seems as if uh, such a bad picture is being painted that we would scare everybody away. This is the picture that Jesus paints. This is the picture that the uh, disciples paint. It's going to get rough. said, they will hand you over to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and stand before governors and kings for my my sake. They will make a public spectacle of you. It's not always going to happen privately. Most often it's going to happen in a public way where your standing for Christ will be publicly brought to the attention of the people and you will suffer humiliation in front of them all. To the point where... uh, Jesus, as he's uh, on this road now, he will be handed over to the courts. He will suffer the ultimate uh, persecution. Uh, Beatings like we can't imagine, hung on a cross until he died. This is what is awaiting Jesus as the leader of the disciples, and he said, it's going to happen to you too. We don't don't live in a country where uh, they bring us into the public square and, and beat us or treat us badly that way or as they may have in different countries around the world, uh, hang your bodies out on display or behead you uh, on live video or any of those kinds. We don't live in that kind of a country. So this kind of a warning here, this kind of a a word to us doesn't really resonate with us that much. I don't think we fear that. But it could happen. The things of uh, our country, the existence that we have now, could certainly change. Uh, we, we, we think we're in this safe and secure place, but uh, if you look at the world around us in our country, uh, what we thought to be safe and secure and the freedoms that we have are eroding. Uh, would it ever get to that place? I don't know. But Jesus says you need to be prepared for that. You would need to know that as you come into life in Christ, this wonderful life in Christ that you cannot find anywhere else, It's going to be a rough road. Maybe maybe it isn't uh, public persecution or beatings that will be ahead of us. Maybe not in our lifetime. Maybe, as Jesus says, it will come from within your own families. As you continue to stand more and more for the the true message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he has for all the world to accept or reject, maybe you'll find division in your own families 
where parents and children don't agree anymore. And there's growing opposition to what we profess to be true and family members that want to take a different path and then ridicule us and, and disassociate with us. Those kinds of things are far more prevalent in our country, maybe even in our homes already. And that could happen. And while we're waiting for this glorious uh, return of Jesus, what we might have to face is, is that family opposition. And we would have to choose then. Would you choose to continue to follow hard after Jesus no matter what? Or when the opposition hits so close to home, would you shrink back from your testimony of what Scripture says uh, to appease family, to stay in good relationship here instead of making sure that this one is strong and secure? Luke's, Luke's account of the life of Jesus records um, the cost for people. Uh, two times in Luke's account, he talks about the cost of being a follower of Jesus, the, the rough road ahead, what it could mean. Uh, in Luke 9:62, he said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you make that decision to go all in for Jesus, expecting everything wonderful that he promised, and then you realize what it may cost you, and you turn back, and you even maybe as um, Lot's wife did, as she thinks about all that was lost, and it cost her. So Luke says, if, if you're going to commit to Jesus, uh, looking back at what you may have given up for everything is going to be uh, a real turning point for you and I. You can't go all in and keep your hopes on what was behind. That was the first time he talked about it. In chapter 14 at verse 26, uh, Luke, it says, If anyone comes to me, I don't think we like this verse. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, or brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then later in verse 33 it says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't make it unclear in any way if there are more important things for his followers than him and his path and what he's offering if there's anything more important than that to you and I, uh, we don't have a place with him. We're not worthy to be counted a disciple because we keep following two paths. One of what I like to see on a daily basis and one that leads me towards uh, an eternal hope, an eternal future. Soon enough, Paul would find out exactly how rough that road would be when he goes down that road and finds all the different afflictions that would await him. Peter also said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised 
this is maybe tying in that first point of, of God letting us know ahead of time with being prepared for what will actually be. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter had this clear understanding that if you're facing opposition, that shouldn't surprise you and I at all. This is, in some ways, what we're signing up for. Again, it seems like Jesus is picking the wrong tactic to draw people into this wonderful relationship with himself. But he doesn't want to uh, have you be misinformed at all. We think of the Christian life often in Western culture here in the United States as an easy road, a fairly level path with a few minor obstacles Um, And they're going to come and we realize that, but there's really nothing that's going to be um, all that difficult about it, uh, so much so that we have enough preachers around our country and around the world that uh, preach that uh, life should just be full of prosperity and peace at all times and no opposition. I don't know if they've ever read all of these verses that I've just read that Jesus spoke or some of his disciples. It isn't a road of, of ease and luxury, Uh, That's coming, brothers and sisters. That's the hope that we are holding on for, where everything is ultimately good and glorious and without uh, any turmoil whatsoever. That's what we're holding out for because God is still in the plan of redeeming this world that's still broken. We still have to get through the broken world, and in this broken world there will be all kinds of opposition, a very rough road. But in the midst of all that, Jesus gives us a task. One, preparing us ahead of time by telling us, uh, and not just telling us, but telling us the truth about it, that it's going to be rough. And in the midst of that, the task is proclaim the good news. Keep bringing the gospel message. Going back to that again at verse 9, they'll they'll deliver you over and you'll be beaten. You'll stand before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them. You and I are going to have to suffer trials in order that we would bear witness. And he says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. When you and I face trials of every kind, the call is to maintain the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, that the broken world that we live in, the opposition that we face, is being redeemed. How long? I don't know yet. But I do know that it's always going to be a rough road. The enemy that we have is insistent on knocking you and I off course and preventing anybody else. And if he can do it by turning your family against you, he might have a shot. If it meant that you would be beaten and tortured and mutilated for your faith and you would shrink back, he wins. He will try every trick in the book to get you and I to fear going forward in our faith. And he is uh, unendingly persistent. He has not stopped from day one. That's also clear as you look throughout all of Scripture. There is the enemy of our souls that has not stopped trying to draw us away to something other than the one true living God. Our task in the midst of every trial 
is to paint a picture of hope, of security, of goodness, of a fulfilled promise, of a redemption of all that's broken. To be persecuted by either the government, whatever that might look like, or family and friends, has always given the believer the opportunity to proclaim the good news. That's exactly what Stephen did in his final moment as he's being stoned to death. You want to read one of, one of the uh, best sermons of uh, somebody other than Jesus, go back and read the account of Stephen that he gives as his life is ending. And he does not shrink back Rock after rock hits him and piles up on him. And as his life is being snuffed out, he sees finally, gets that glimpse of the reward, but he does not shrink back. He could have renounced his faith and saved all of that, but that's not a safe place either. It's what the martyrs did in the early church. They gave their life and their testimony right up to the end. People like Polycarp, Glendina, Constantine, Athanasius, even St. Patrick, and many others kept giving their, their hope and their, their foundation in the midst of great trial and opposition. It's what Paul would do every time he faced opposition. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You read the account of, of Paul in the book of Acts, and he never gave up being a witness, whether he was being imprisoned or beaten or anything else. It gave him one more opportunity. As he's being imprisoned by the Roman guards, he saw that as the opportunity before him to preach the gospel to people that need to hear it. All throughout the Bible, God has given his people's opportunities to, one, receive his word by faith and put our trust into action. Two, examine ourselves to see if that faith remains real and true. And if it doesn't, the overwhelming message of the prophets is a call to repentance. Examine yourselves to see where you're at in your faith. Do you still Live your faith, or is it just a mere profession? Is it just something that you speak, but our actions would declare something different? Always given the opportunity to examine ourselves and repent when absolutely needed. Three, stand firm once again in the faith that they profess. Once you've come through that, where God has made it clear, you've examined yourself, and if you see that you've failed, and you repent, to once again make that a life of faith, a real thing again. And not just uh, inwardly. Maybe that's been our, our mindset for too long. My faith is my own. It doesn't involve anybody else. Uh, I have my own faith. You have your own faith. Uh, I don't need to do anything that lets anybody know about it. I don't need to talk about it. It's just my own faith and I'm secure in that. That's not the message of Scripture either. Uh, it's to live out that faith 
and publicly proclaim the gospel. Scripture gives us that opportunity over and over and over again, all of those things. You and I will be given those same opportunities. We will. We will be given those opportunities. Uh, It happens often when people are on their deathbeds and somebody that's not there in the, uh, somebody in the room that's not a believer and they're, they're talking with the one who's at the, the end of their life and they questioning about that and they profess the hope that they have, the eternal security and the only way that it comes about and in their dying moments they take that opportunity to keep preaching the good news. The good news is, along with that, along with all the trials, along with all the hardship that we might face, the opposition, uh, public or uh, privately in our families, whatever it might be, when when that time comes that you and I are going to stand up for our faith, right now I I can come up with some good words that I might want to say, but in that moment it's going to be a different story. Uh, Renounce Christ or lose your arm. What would you say then? Jesus says, don't, don't worry about the moment that that trial comes in its intensity to you. The Spirit will lead you to what to say, that you will still proclaim His name faithfully. Jesus said in our reading today, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Saved not only from the trials, saved not only through the trials, if that's the case, but saved all the way through to the end of your faith where you receive that final reward. When that day comes for you and me in our greatest moment of trial, and we're faced with that question, how will you answer it? How far will your faith take you? Let's pray. Jesus, we would like to just jump up and say, I've, I've got everything I need in you to, uh, to endure faithfully to the end, and, and yet we've, we've been reading throughout uh, the Scriptures already how many times that opportunity came in the midst of fear and opposition and temptation, and people failed. And so we pray, uh, Jesus, that you would give us uh, a greater measure of your spirit day by day that we would understand there is nothing more important in this life than to draw people into your kingdom. There's nothing more important for us to profess what we hold on to so tightly than to your name, your mission, and your purpose, regardless of who would stand against us. We would like to be able to say that we would come through that with flying colors, but we know that uh, sometimes we in our own lives have failed. We failed to pass the test when temptation came or when the opportunity to speak up for you came to us and we shrunk back and we didn't take that opportunity. It's been a part of all of our lives. And so we hold on to that promise that when, when that time comes, as we continue to move forward in our faith, you will hold us securely, so much so that 
uh, even in that time of great trial, you will speak through us by the Spirit who lives in us so that in that moment, whatever we're facing is not so important as lifting up your name and holding out grace and hope to those around us. Strengthen us for the road ahead. Continue to show us um, not only what we face, but our great reward as well, so that we would not ever uh, lose sight of what you have promised us. May it be so uh, in our lives, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.